it was like a super disconnected moment. Like oh, yeah. I just is... laid there with my eyes closed the whole time because I wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, talk about like the way I interpreted it is you were able to feel her this entire time. And then now all of a sudden that connection is cut. Oh yeah. For me, that was the death sentence. Yeah. Essentially that's what I was prepared for her, like not to be here anymore. And so I was not okay. And, and mentally then, I was gone. Yeah. And that's, but for me, that moment was, oh, cool, I have a kid. Hi, I'm Erica, and this is Story Sanctuary. Story Sanctuary is a space for NICU parents to process and share their stories as a form of healing. Each episode features a different family's birth and NICU story, and today we're joined by Jake and Kayla. Jake and Kayla, where does your story begin? Um, yeah, so we actually recently moved to the Kansas City area about two years ago. Um, we had been living in St. Louis when about a year after we got married, Kayla and I got married, we decided to start trying to have a kid. Um, we've always wanted to have at least two kids. Um, and so that's kind of where it starts is in St. Louis, uh, about a year and a half ago, really in our, uh, our doctor appointment, I forget the 12 week, was it the 12 week? It was the 20 week. The 20 week, uh, ultrasound is kind of where our story starts as far as February 5th. Yeah. She (laughs) remembers the day exactly. February 5th, 2019. So what happened at that doctor's appointment? Uh, yeah, I, I remember the doctor's appointment pretty well. I don't remember the dates and stuff, so you probably remember more details than I do. <laughs> but um, that's when we were going to go in to find out the, the gender, the sex of our baby. So we were, we were already starting to have her sister plan out our baby shower, uh, the gender reveal, and do all this kind of fun stuff. Uh, her sister's actually a baker, and she was going to bake us these, like, gender reveal macaroons so we could break them open and figure out what we had. Um, but while the tech kind of was like, oh, yeah, did you want to find out what you had? We were like, no, we want to be surprised, put it in an envelope. And she's like, okay, I just have to ask the doctor a few questions. And she, like, stepped out of the room, and we were, you know, this is our first kid, so we were like, okay, that's probably normal, Right. And then they had us go talk with Dr. Perticchio. She, she was really nice. She's a great doctor. But she was like, so your daughter's not moving the way that we would expect. And then from there, you could, from there for me, it was very like, oh God, what's happening? Very, and then I felt very rushed out of the room. They were like, mm-hmm. don't worry about paying for this visit. Just go get out. And I remember just like both of us were crying. I don't, I know you were It was upset. like a five minute doctor's appointment yeah um she just kept saying one more thing was wrong after another it was like four different things total and then as she said like the third thing i just it was like when you're watching the charlie brown movies and you hear the adults are like very muffled (laughs) that's kind of where i was in that point yeah everything was just really loud and just getting worse and worse and i was just done with it and then once i broke down she just kind of rush us out the back and let us get past the waiting room so we wouldn't have to go by anybody that was sitting there. And from there, she um, got us set up with the fetal health center in St. Louis to get a second opinion. And they called us later that day and set us up for the next week. 
that's kind of the beginning of the craziness that was that year. <laughs> yeah. So what was the rest of the pregnancy like? Yeah, the rest of the, man, the rest of the pregnancy was hard for both of us in different ways, right? So like for Kayla, she could feel Parker. So it was a drastically different experience from what I was feeling just because like from my point of view, it was all the stuff the WashU doctors were telling us like, you know, 50% of all kids with arthrogryposis and these kind of underlying conditions don't survive just immediately like coming out of the womb. Like they just, they don't breathe on their own. They need a lot of support. You, you got a 50, 50 chance. And then that became 68. I mean, we got a whole varying different percentages of survivability. Yeah. But Kayla was able to feel Parker rolling around doing all that she could and knowing what we know now about Parker the choice that we made to keep going as a family with the pregnancy. Cause like, I don't know how familiar you are with Missouri's rules, but it's like, we were already at the 22 week mark when we were starting to get data, find out diagnoses, like figure out what was really wrong. We got the amniocentesis done. We were rushing to try and find like what's going on. Um, and so in Missouri that 22 to 24 weeks is like the only time you have to make a decision if you want to continue on or not. Nowadays, that's actually not even the case anymore because now they have that first heartbeat rule. So no matter what, for Parker, if we were going through it nowadays, it would be you couldn't discover that kind of stuff at the heartbeat level. You would have to go through the pregnancy no matter what. But ultimately, after I went back and forth keeping doing an abortion, I mean... I was so flip-flopped and Kayla was too. There was no, there was no given week where both of us were on the same page at one point because it was so disturbing. Like, even if she does survive, okay, what's the rest of her life? Because even though we finally figured out that it was probably going to be arthrogryposis, you didn't know that until she was born. So it was, we were literally setting her up no matter what, even if it was a degenerative or non-degenerative disease to be set up for being disabled the rest of her life. And I was able to see that in a different light than Kayla was because I didn't feel Parker. So I'm not sitting there feeling a baby tumbling around. I'm just looking at the facts and what other people are saying and doctors. And she has that emotional connection that the dad doesn't really have. So that was, <laughs> that was pretty tough, but yeah, I mean, that's the, up to the moment Parker was born, it was tears not knowing if we're doing the right thing constantly. Like there, I buried myself going back to work. Uh, I actually found a new job out here in Kansas city before, like right before the month before we found all this stuff out, just because I wanted to be able to provide more for my family and give Kayla the option to either explore a career in teaching or be a stay at home mom. Uh, and now with two kiddos, she's definitely a stay-at-home mom and doing yeah. awesome at that. <laughs> but uh, I came out here, and we have a much better job, and we're looking at buying a house and all that kind of stuff. But after we found out everything about Parker, I totally buried myself in working out here. And, like, there was a point where Kayla was back in our loft in St. Louis for a month, and I was working out here and driving back every weekend. I mean... That was right before. Yeah, that was right before... And then also in March, like once we, we, yeah. we ended up owning two properties at one point, 
not owning, renting two properties at one point. We had the house here in the apartment in St. Louis, and eventually we finally got her out here with me. But talk about moving, the emotional stress, all of that for almost the full pregnancy. I mean, you're talking about like six, seven months, right? Well, it was 14 weeks when we we found out. Oh, I thought it was the 20 week. We found out the 20 week, but it was 14 weeks of all this stress. Oh, yeah. Because we had her at 34 weeks. Yeah, the stress of this pregnancy. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So. So Tell me more about her diagnosis. Uh, Yeah, so clinically she is diagnosed with arthrogryposis multiplex congenita, which fancily means, like in fancy terms, that she has multiple joint contractures. um, And her condition aligns with amyoplasia, which is, if you want Essentially to... Essentially three or more three contractures. Three or more contractures. So arthrogryposis is a wide net term for all these people who have... I mean, you could have a couple of fingers affected, or you could have what she has, where both of her elbows have no flexion. Uh, she is internally rotated at the shoulders, so her shoulders were pointing inward. Um, her wrists don't cannot flex upward, but they can... She can still kind of moved some fingers. Her thumbs were unaffected. Uh, She had a clubbed right foot that was angled at 90 degrees. Her left foot is normal, her hips are normal, and her knees are normal as far as we can see. Um, She was kind of uh, micronathia, but not enough to really put that in there. Small jaw. Yeah, small jaw, where her jaw was slightly set back. Like the lower jaw is slightly backwards where the front jaw is, but hers was so minuscule they didn't even want to mess with it. And she has, uh, like, no muscle tone. Yeah, her ch- because of her condition, her chest is very low-toned, as you can imagine, and you're not moving those shoulders. She was never... Her tummy time didn't consist of the normal, like, putting your arms out in front and kicking around because she couldn't. Um, so she's very low... Like, you can see her rib cage, and that's not from the lack of her her appetite. She's a big eater, for sure, but she just cannot do, like... You wouldn't think of her at a, a bench press kind of situation. I'm trying to think of... She has no pecs. She has no pecs, yeah. No pecs. <laughs> so. Well, that's interesting what you said about how during the pregnancy they weren't able to diagnose her, but later they could. Why is that? Yeah, so the reason from what we gather, and we're on a lot of, mainly Kayla, but we're on a lot of um, arthrogryposis like, groups on Facebook. So... It's not necessarily a genetic disorder. There are small factors that might make you believe that it is. So Kayla has the SM, SMA, gene. SMA gene, which is the skeletal muscular atrophy gene. And I am not a carrier for that. And you need two copies to have SMN, which is the skeletal... The SMA. SMA. <laughs> Sorry, you have to have two copies of SMN to have SMA. <laughs> which is a skeletal muscular atrophy syndrome. Um, and she doesn't have that, but she does have, she is a carrier for SMN. Um, and really they don't know what causes it. One paper I read said that blood flow to the baby gets affected at a certain point. And like, if you're not on a scan at the time that it happens, you're not going to catch it. And then something causes them to not move in the right way. And then from there, they just, in the womb, if you're not moving those muscles, they just turn into fatty fatty strings or, you know, she might still have biceps. We don't know. 
there's tons of therapy involved with like building up that strength. Like, um, so that's, that's one of the reasons they just, they just don't know how to classify it early on until they're out really. And you can see them making like progress versus getting more atrophied. Cause she's, she's not getting, she's moving more. She's definitely getting stronger. <laughs> so tell me about her birth. Uh, yeah. In the actual birth itself was super scary. So <laughs> a couple of weeks before that, one of the doctors here in KC after we had transferred was like, Hey, I, he had come in and filled in for one of the doctors that was regularly giving us updates so we had a pretty consistent team here in Kansas City, which is great. Um, but he had come in and filled in for a week. He was like, so just so you know, typically kids that are internally rotated have their arms between their legs um, and they're not moving the right way. They don't, they come out and they just don't breathe and they yeah. need a lot he of support. He said he's never seen one survive. He's never seen, yeah. And blatantly he, he like, just came blatantly, out with it. Yeah, I mean, I... I applaud doctors for making sure that you're very aware of the situation, but it was also very hard to hear that so close to like, we had been like part of these arthrogryposis groups. We were ready. We're like, okay, it's just going to be a lot of therapy. Right. So when he was like, yeah, they just don't come out breathing. I was like, okay. And then on top of that, she had gastroschisis. Cause another, right. one, another thing we forget. Yeah. About. I forgot <laughs> to mention that because out of all of this, the gastroschisis part of her like birth is the easiest. The easiest. You would think that organs being, like, that's when the lining on the abdomen wall allows for the, um, intestines. Uh, inte the, I can't remember if it's smaller, the intestines to come out and was just inside of her womb with her. And so, like, on a lot of our ultrasound pictures, you can see her face, like, mushed up against mm. her own she intestines. She was sucking her intestines. Yeah, she would eat on her intestines, so it's kind of weird. That was super easy, but when she came out, um, and I heard her cry. That's when I like, I got flush. I had to sit down next to Kayla and I was like, okay, she's good. She made a noise. That's what we needed to hear. Um, for Kayla though, like, and add to this, it was like a super disconnected moment. Like oh, yeah. I just had... laid there with my eyes closed the whole time. Cause I wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, talk about like the way I interpreted it is you were able to feel her this entire time, and then now all of a sudden that connection is cut. Oh, yeah. For me, that was the death sentence. Yeah. Essentially, that's what I was prepared for her, like, not to be here anymore. And so I was not okay. And Mentally, then, I was gone. Yeah. And that's... But for me, that moment was, oh, cool, I have a kid. Yeah. Like, it, it was almost reversed from our entire pregnancy portion. Like, I was so disconnected. I was like, this kid isn't going to survive. And she was like, she's in here moving. And I felt her kick once. And it still, it wasn't, now that we have another kid, his kicks were insane compared <laughs> to Parker's. Like, I have that comparison now. But um, for me, that moment was, oh, I have a daughter. And for her, it was, I don't know if she's going to make it now because she's not with me. And you know how they try to put uh, the baby on top of the mom and get all those good feelings and that uh, get the same bacteria and all that stuff? They put her on for a minute. They Not had me even. cut the cord, yeah, if a minute. And she was put into her um, incubator, and they took her off, and I went with them immediately. So, like, I was like, are you okay? And she was like, I'm fine. Like, Kayla felt good for once, not, like, in pain stomach-wise and, like, could relax a little bit. I was drugged out. Yeah. She... <laughs> to be honest, I was, I had all the epidural. All the I had everything else. <laughs> they gave me all the good drugs, so I was out. Yeah, and then I went into the... Uh, 
I was in the room with her for a couple of hours before we were able to go get Kayla to come see Parker. That's kind of how the birth went. There was like a team of 30 people in that room. Talk about yeah. all the doctors you can imagine in the room at one point in time to make sure that they, cause they had to, in, they had to in, incubate her or intubate her yeah. immediately uh, so that she could go into surgery and they could start putting the intestines back in. That was like their main priority. And that was so rushed too, because mm-hmm. not even three days before going into labor, we had planned my induction for 37 weeks. So when we actually had to go in and my water broke, it was none of the same people. Like literally no one that we had seen or we were aware of was in the room. So it was very rushed. No one knew us. They had to go through my chart and figure out what the diagnosis was, what they needed. So it was very like quick because my contractions were five minutes apart. So I was signing the release for my epidural in the middle of getting the epidural. Yeah. In the middle of contractions, in the middle of puking in his hands. So it was... Oh, yeah, that was awful. It was very rushed and very chaotic. Was this at Children's Mercy? So, no, this was at uh, KU. So we've had both of our children born at KU. Children's Mercy, knowing what we know now, would have taken Parker, and we could have had the baby there. And in retrospect, we would have absolutely loved that. Um, Just because they're set up. Like you said, I mean, it's in their name. They're set up for children, so it's a little bit more precise. Um, I will say, though, I did like KU's NICU because you all got private rooms no matter what. Yeah. So that was kind of nice. And we only <laughs> and went you through, know that. <laughs> we only went through KU Med just because our doctor at the time told us that it would be the same. It's just children's was more suited for heart babies. And since we didn't have a heart issue, it wouldn't have mattered. And that's really not the case in retrospect. Yeah, he, I think he just had better. limited... <laughs> I think he had limited experience with Children's Mercy. Yeah. I I did enjoy, I did like our doctor, uh, can't remember his name, at KU. He was, he was a great guy and he was very positive compared to um, St. Louis doctors. They had referred us to him, but he was like, no, I think her legs are kicking just fine. And he was very adamant about keeping us on a stringent, like, this is your technician. She's the only one who's going to be evaluating you. And so I think that's honestly the reason it got more positive for me in the end too, is because we had the same set we had of consistent eyes. eyes and you need that when it really sucks that insurance is kind of dictating all this kind of stuff, but it, it really helped to have the same technician looking at the same baby every single week. She was like, no, the, the legs and Parker's kicking a whole bunch more where it wash you. It was a different tech every week. And they were like, no, she's really not kicking that much. No, they said she was less. And I, I forgot this, and I'm sorry that we're jumping around. You, you have to, it's, it's so much <laughs> information. At we were at the point at WashU where we had gotten the, they give you this teddy bear with your kid's heartbeat mm. to keep because you're about to go through the abortion process. Like we had gone through all the way up to the point of, they mm. put you in a room and they. T- Missouri law requires you to read all these materials that basically tell you how bad of a person you are and why you're, you're going against God's wishes and all that stuff. And I'm like, I wish separation of church and state wasn't such a big like deal, but we had our final ultrasound and that they, they treated us in a sense that they knew we were losing our child. So they were giving us what we could have. The doctors understood how I, I don't want to cuss on this, but understood how much BS we were having to go through just because we were being given all these like 
miss like tons of different information thrown at you of what you're going through as far as choosing if this is okay for your kid or not. But um, we decided to keep going after that point, and that's when we were at KU, and everything got better once she's been out. Yeah. yeah, we were looking for any indication to keep going, and on that last ultrasound, she did. She moved her fingers for yeah. the first time, and we just, I didn't we believe lost it. it. I did not believe it. Everybody, we had her parents and my mom in the room, and we all broke down. Everybody together was just a mess. We were all crying. We didn't know what to do. And she did. She. I thought it was a blip. I chose not to believe it. But now knowing Parker, oh, she totally moved her finger. <laughs> oh, yeah. She flipped us off, I think. <laughs> yeah, she probably did. She flipped us off. So it's like, don't get rid of me. <laughs> She was born, and you said that the first thing that they prioritized was mm -hmm. closure for her gastro. Yes. And then what happened after that? What was her status? Yeah, her. so the gastrostesis lasted, they base it off of poop. I mean, everybody tells you in the NICU poop is a big deal. Um, so with gastrostesis, they expect within two weeks to have normal bowel movements. Like within two days, she had normal bowel movements. Um, and they were able to actually push all of her bowels back in within a couple of days. And usually that takes a couple of weeks. Now, I could speculate to you that they might have pushed it back in too soon and she had a bunch of reflux. And that's when we went through this whole other part of our NICU stay. There's so many what ifs with her that like to the point where we've always joked, like, should we? sue the hospital but like there's no backing for it it's just us being parents and like what if we didn't do it this way but what if we did and so many things so her status after they got the intestines back in was slowly monitoring her for food intake but that's when we started having bradycardiac episodes which is a dip in the heart rate and oxygen rate um and typically they attribute that to premature babies just because the central nervous system is so immature. But with her, she was having these breathing episodes and it didn't seem bradycardiac. It seemed like she was having breathing difficulties. So again, much like when we had heard the diagnosis for arthrogryposis, well, didn't hear the diagnosis. We had heard there's a problem. There's a problem with something with her skeletal muscular set up, we immediately started looking at issues with breathing. So was it, uh, you know, flimsy vocal cords? Was it an underdeveloped airway? Mm. Yeah. And that was all at KU. And to the point where I'm at my job here at KU or at, um, out here in Kansas city, she's at the hospital at KU. And we had finally decided with the doctors, like, we need to go to Children's Mercy because they're not equipped to handle breathing uh, issues at KU as much as they are at Children's Mercy. And one of the doctors had the audacity to tell Kayla, while I'm not there, I'm at work, we need to move her today because I don't think she can serve. I think she's going to die. Yeah, it was, we had, we had planned for two weeks that we would right. transfer to Children's. Like that was our plan that morning. And then that later that afternoon, the same doctor came in and just he was very uncomfortable and awkward talking to me as a whole. Anyways, if Jake wasn't in the room, he was just like, did that awkward laugh kind of thing. Cause he didn't know how to react to me. 
And so he just blatantly yeah. said, we need to move her today because if we don't, she's not going to survive here. Yeah. And like, I understood that they weren't equipped and we had already exhausted all of their available resources. So we knew we were going to move, but he was like, we got to go today. Because she was already in pretty bad shape. She was on CPAP. She was miserable. You could just... She was doing so much worse. But what's what's insane about that is there were two days where our daughter was off air support. She was breathing on her own. And she was making noise. And, like, we have the cutest little she video of her cooing at me. Hiccuping. But then something happened. And it drives us insane because, like, we don't know if it was... She... Parker, knowing Parker's personality now, she does not like to be messed with. Like, deep suctioning and all the stuff they do before you have a trach put in. Like, they go through your nose, down through your throat. Doing an NG, NJ tube to feed her. She clearly wanted to feed without these machines. But they have to do it that way because they say it's safer. And this is another big what if for me because I know my daughter and she hate, she loves to eat and she hates things being forced through her you touch her nose and she will lose it and i really do think that they like just did too much with her nasal passage and she started shutting down yeah and she is a hard kid to intubate we found that out She's of children very tiny. so it's just like what happened yeah did what they... happened with the intubation did they accidentally do damage which is you know i'm not trying to say that the hospital did anything wrong but like if you're intubating somebody that's a hard intubation of course, you might accidentally do damage when you're trying to put the tube in, just from scraping or anything like that. So that's another what if for us. But that was the last day that we were at KU and we got transferred over to Children's Mercy. That was a big day. They had to leave work early. You guys had the huge hospital, like mm -hmm. ambulance specifically designed to transport children in intubation, like tunnels. And yeah, that was a crazy day, too. How long after she was born was this? Three weeks exactly. Three weeks exactly before. So that's three weeks and then we got moved to Children's Mercy. Yeah. Okay. So what was that day like? That day was insanity. Kayla is texting and calling me when she can for updates because it went from we have two weeks and I know the day that we're going to move our kid to, hey, we're doing this today. And... I really commend my team that I work with because they were like, yep, leave, go be with your family, do what you need to do. It was never, the job I have now has never been a question of family first. So that's been a saving grace because I've been able to drop what I'm doing and be there for them. But for me, it was absolute insanity. I couldn't be in the ambulance with those guys and Oh, yeah, I was filling out all kinds of transfer papers, yeah. trying to make sure we had all of her stuff because in that NICU, we have our whole, like, our own room. And so we had all of our personal stuff in there. So I was trying to pack all of our things and make sure I had to leave my car at the hospital and then just make oh, sure yeah. the team that was transferring, because we have new nurses all the time, too. So no one knew our daughter. And so we had to make sure that they weren't doing something that would set her off because she was very finicky at that time. Yeah. So insanity on insanity, like yeah. there's, there's big blips in our NICU journey that are just insane days. Yeah. And even the transfer night, because we got there right at 630 and you know, shift change at seven. Oh God. Yeah. So we had our, <laughs> um, day nurse trying to fill in the night nurse on all of our stuff and she didn't even know us. And so we're basically there doing rounds with them 
And then, of course, we were on B-Pod, and we were right there in the middle of everybody else. And so it was just very We were meeting chaotic. our doctors for, like, a half hour, and then they yeah. went home. <laughs> and you still have the trans the unit people that are there trying to give a report, too. So it was just me trying to speak over all these people that are doing their job but don't know us. Mm-hmm. So it was just filling in all these people. So I know at Children's Mercy, you don't have the option of staying overnight. At KU, were you all able to stay with her? At KU, you can sleep overnight, like, in the chair and everything with them. Were you told that you couldn't stay overnight at Children's? Well, you can, but, I mean, you... Oh, yeah. The chair situation just wouldn't I, work I get what well you're saying. That. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, exactly. At KU, they had similar chairs, but one of them could fold, like, completely flat. It was a converter bed. And I did it one night and at KU with her, but she was bradycardiac at the time. So talk about alarms going off every 30, 45 minutes, maybe getting like a good two hours of sleep. And I'll be honest, like, even though we might feel bad about it, leaving every night, and we left pretty late every night at both NICUs, like 11 o'clock sometimes, we got more comfortable as she got better. But honestly, if any parent feels bad about leaving their kid in the NICU, don't. You getting sleep is the <laughs> is the absolute best thing. Us like, going home to our own bed, own bed each night was our sleeping resetting, grace. Gives you a clear mind, and you're able to take on those doctors a little bit better, I think, because you need to advocate as hard as you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I did it one night, and I would never suggest doing it, especially if your kid rings off constantly. <laughs> Absolutely. We also had respiratory issues, mm. and the alarming would... Oh, nope, God. not a great, not a great place to sleep. And then, of course, at Children's, it's just a recliner, so it's oh yeah, a terrible those chairs. Situation. Yeah, those chairs didn't even go all the way down at at Children's, and you always felt so compacted. Like I don't know if your space was bigger. Towards the end, our space got bigger at Children's, but like not that much bigger. You're talking about going from maybe 50 square feet to 62 square feet. <laughs> that might even be too big. No, no, our B pod was the tiniest. Oh, yeah, we were actually on B-Pod together. Yeah. We got a bigger space towards the end, too, but we also had more things because we'd been there for so long, so Mm -hmm. it didn't add up in the end. Yeah, all the stuff you bring in, all the toys that you want them to have because they're still babies developing, Mm -hmm. and all those hospital toys are garbage. Some of them are right. okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's your first child. You want to give her things to play with. And Was this your first child as well? It was. Ugh, what an experience for a first kid. <laughs> yes. So I thought that B-Pod was for heart-related kids. It is. So we only got put there just because of the bed space and when we were transferred. She had no heart issue, but she was put on B-Pod just because of space. We eventually oh. moved to C-Pod. Okay. So when you all got to Children's Mercy, what happened next? Uh, after that fateful transfer day, uh, we immediately got a diagnosis at Children's Mercy, which was nice. So nobody up to this point had said definitively, like, she has arthrogryposis amyoplasia. Within the first two weeks, they had given us a diagnosis, mm-hmm. and we were going to start physical therapy, which was awesome. So, like, because everybody... Who, had, who was going to work on her, uh, the PT and the OT, they had read articles on arthrogryposis, and they were like, the best thing you can do is early intervention. So 
We're going to start figuring out her range of motion, and we'll go from there. Obviously, she can't sit up and do normal baby stuff either, um, but we're going to figure out what works for Parker. Um, and then on the side of that was also figuring out, man, she's still having these bradycardic episodes, even though we're increasing feeds and doing all this other stuff. And mm -hmm. so that kind of... Yeah, she would have good days, and then it would just slowly get worse and worse to the point where she would start coding. Yep. And then once she started coding, that big eventful day, it just kept coming, and then we just saw it happening, and we knew what was leading up to it. Well, it was, what was crazy about her breathing was initially she was on... She was on a PAP machine. She's on CPAP. She was on CPAP, was very, on the highest pressure, right? Yeah, but no O2. No O2, that's right. So with her, it's always been weird. So she needs pressure to open the airway, but no oxygen support. So she's always able to saturate her blood perfectly, as long as she's got that airway open. Um, she was clamping down a lot, though, when she was on the lower CPAP, but like not doing it all the time where we had to give her Ativan, which is a very hard, like, narcotic, um, to where she would relax and allow, because she would just cry and cry when she was uncomfortable or something wrong. We don't know what it was at, to this day, but she would have to get Ativan doses, and she would relax, and then she would fall asleep. And while she was asleep, she was on very low CPAP, no oxygen support, on room air, as I would say, um, and she would just be calm and collected. There was one, the fateful day where she had the big coding, uh, the code blue, that you actually, I think, were, you saw, or at least didn't know us then, but you were in the same pod. Um, she had gone 12 hours without a bradycardiac episode. She was eating well, everything was great, and then... We actually had a visit from our aunt, we too. Had a, yeah, we had a visit <laughs> from my aunt, and we had also increased feed, and Kayla and I think that she was aspirating, not aspirating, but um, refluxing. refluxing so much that it was getting all the way up to where the airway was. And if you can imagine bad heartburn, but for a baby and it's burning the esophagus like or the airway, because it can get so bad it gets up to the top and it just rests right where your airway is, because those pipes are so close together. I think that's what happened. She got too much food in her belly for what she was comfortable with. She refluxed. That hurt. She cried and clamped down. And she was crying, and she wasn't going to stop. And that coding day was awful. Like we almost lost her. Oh, she it she was hours. white, and we're we're pasty, as you can see on this video. Like we're we're the definition of from north. <laughs> we're white people, and she was ghost white. Her like all the blood you could tell was going to the tips of the like the organs. It was racing away from the tips of the fingers and the feet, going to her head. Her oxygen was down below 40s, 30s. She got down to 12. She got down to 12. She had no heart rate. They they were trying to intubate to the point where the doctor who had been really close to us was actually crying, and we could see her crying. Like, that's how scared we were. Kayla's crying. I'm trying to hold Kayla. They bring over the uh, the pastor. Or chaplain. The, the chaplain. <laughs> And he, he, they're I trying lost to, it on yeah. Them. She lost it when the chaplain walked over. I, I walked away from the entire room because I was like, I can't do this. And the social worker followed me, and I like broke down in the 
right outside the family room. I didn't know it was the family room at the time. I had very, like, rarely spent time. So I feel bad for any family members who were in that room hearing me <laughs> just, like, bawl my eyes out. But um, that was that was so hard because, I mean, we thought she was dead. She, you, you, look, you looked over at her and what you could see because all these doctors are around her trying to intubate. And they're like, she's just such a hard intubation. She's so small. Yeah, you see blood all in her little incubator, her little bed, because yep. they keep nicking her throat. They're trying to get something in, and they're forcing their way yeah. in. It and lasted like two hours of just them doing that back and forth, and then bringing in more teams. And then they got her stable at one point, and everybody left. And yep. then within another half hour, it happened all over again. And it was just the worst one. Yeah, and... And with that, the whole time, I'm thinking, like, after it was all said, like, I applaud the team because they were, like, a well-oiled machine. And they they saved our kid's life. And I don't know if you know, but being at that NICU, it was, like, I lost it one day when another family lost their kid just because. Like, they had all of us leave the C-pod because a baby was coding. And they didn't save that baby. And, like, I lost it for that kid. I was crying and upset for other family members because... It just reminded me what we went through. It reminded me of what almost happened. And we're both, like, tearing up right now. Um, <laughs> the uh, Those were the hardest days. And, like, the only thing I thought of the entire time after she was saved, too, and I couldn't even get past it, was, like, I know what happens to the brain when you don't have oxygen. Is she going to be brain dead now? Like, now are we introducing another disability? Because yeah, even after that happened, when they let us come back to her, when they got her stable and intubated... Oh Does, my God, she was just... It was the best way I can describe it is if you're looking over at your child's viewing. Yeah, yeah. Like I felt like I was, was at my child's own funeral white, because and you could she was barely, so still. You could barely see her breathe. Yeah, sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She was motionless. Yeah, because after that one too, like oh I God. had, I walked away and I threw up immediately in the bathroom like ten times because yeah. it was just comes over you after everything you you just saw and witnessed and then you can't you can't even hold your kid like we were every time she would code or brady cardi episodes or whatever it was when we were holding her and like it didn't get to not until we got the trach it was two months could until we, we could safely hold, hold her. the baby yeah i mean we did not bond with her the way you would think knowing what who parker is now though the lack of oxygen did not affect this child, that's for damn sure. <laughs> she has quite the personality, and we joke that she is just a little baby genius. But, I mean, that it is the darkest point in my life. Like, I've lost my dad, I've lost family members, and that is that eclipses everything I've ever been through in my 30 years being alive. I would not wish it again, I hated it. It is so horrible. And the fact that we are still smiling and happy people <laughs> is a goddamn... Or a miracle, sorry. <laughs> We're a very cussy sailor house here. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to watch it. To lighten up the mood, all I can focus on, too, during that was one of the families that we were beside. Oh, my God. Didn't, <laughs> didn't understand the severity of what was happening to Parker at the time. And they had something very minor that they wanted. Fi I think they wanted to hold their daughter or something. Yeah, they needed assistance. They needed assistance. And they popped their head in the curtain in the middle of them trying to intubate her kid while she's coding and asked for help <laughs> to get that. And then our doctor looks over at them like, are you 
are you serious right now? What's really funny is they're like and really she looks, close she's like, friends. No. <laughs> and we're really good. Like we're close to them now. We love them to death. And, and they, just, they actually apologize for that. Because they, they I mean, didn't know. They didn't know. And unless you, I mean, it's weird because you, you would think with those curtains, like everybody knows everything, but yeah, there I was mean, just so that much situation, I do think they probably should have assessed it a little bit more, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to agree with that because I was to leave. Yeah, I was down a few bed spaces from you all and I knew what was going on. So <laughs> it's hard to believe that someone right next to you all didn't, didn't. process that. But, you know, no judgment. Yeah. Things happen. And they're they're such close friends now, and we're like we they're really they live really far away deep in Kansas, but uh, we follow them on Facebook and stuff, and they're they're super nice. Uh, and they actually came, uh, their daughter had a heart problem, and they came to the NICU when we actually we volunteered before COVID, and did you know remember when you could go to uh, the Ronald McDonald House for like food, even if you weren't staying there? So we volunteered and did like a lunch, I think. What month was that? October? It was March. Was it March? It was after she got sick. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was after she had the cold. It was supposed to be your birthday. That's but... right. It was It was supposed to be on my birthday, but we had to move it out to March. So that's what we did in 2020 at the beginning of the year. We did a little lunch for all the families in the NICU just because we were like, oh, we know how this goes. And we had raised money on Facebook, so it was no cost. So that was pretty cool. What did children say about her breathing? How did they decide to work with that? Uh, yeah. So to this day, we do not know why Parker doesn't like to breathe normally. <laughs> um, Children's Mercy, the only thing they gave us was she's really hard intubation. Uh, her doctor that followed her to the end of her leaving was like, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think it is reflux, but... I also don't know why your kid's clamping down, and the only way to solve it is to trach your kid. And we're like, oh, Jesus, okay. So, and with a trach, because she also wasn't taking a bottle at the time, and that's not due to Parker. They weren't trying to give her a bottle. Um, because she was a hard intubation, they don't feed them normally. They always do an NJ or an NG tube, um, or uh, a G tube if you get trached, which is what we had to decide. So that was another big point in our NICU stay is she, at this point we had a primary care nurse, which if you are in a NICU always suggests getting a primary care nurse. It goes back to the same thing with technicians. If you have the same person with the same eyes on your kid all the time, just like the parents, you're going to know the kid yeah. better. And she advocated for us when we weren't there. Exactly. And she, she was such a cool nurse and she's a younger nurse and she just like got what we were trying to convey to them. So when we weren't there at night, she was our voice, which is good because we got to go home and sleep and children's mercy doesn't have cameras where at KU, we actually had a camera that we could go in and check in. I know they're adding them, but if they put it back on our kid anyways, we yeah, see they, it. Oh, that, sorry. Jump back to KU. That pissed us off. Anytime they come in there to do anything that's an emergency, they hit the camera away. So you don't get to see, but you know there's an emergency. So immediately we're calling KU, like, what's going on? <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was the big decision. So we had our primary care nurse, and they basically told us one night she coded. She was coding again, but our NICU nurse who had, 
they put her on like a different pod that was super far away. She was doing one of the parent stays. I cannot remember what it's called to save my life. Oh, yeah. Um, PCU. Yep, PCU. Yes, she was doing PCU she was on top PCU. of our child because our kid was stable. Quote, unquote, stable. Yeah. Because she had been extubated, and she was being pretty good. If you propped her up in the right way, like put her on her side, she seemed pretty stable and could breathe normally, and she didn't need to be intubated. But they had our nurse doing a PCU stay, and then Parker was coding again, and they didn't even call Taylor over right away. Taylor got over there and was like, because if you put Parker in the choking baby hold, which is to flip them on your, your singular arm and put their their uh, chin in your arm and hold them like back facing you, she was good with that. She would breathe normally because it almost opened up her neck and her airway, I felt like. So she knew to do that before intubating, and we were still trying to decide if a trach was the right choice. In retrospect... That day that they said we should trick her, I would go back and say, yeah, go ahead and do it. Just because the minute she came out from having a trach, she was a little puffy after that surgery, but she was happy, breathing, and... She was smiling, she and was you could see the relief a totally different kid. Totally different kid. So it was a good choice, but it sucks that we still, to this day, don't know what caused it. And... I don't know how familiar you are with respiratory issues and trachs and stuff like that. She's Is familiar. She, she's fr- super familiar. <laughs> Very Sorry, familiar, I yes. don't know your story <laughs> no, wholly. Okay. I know she does. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, so you're super familiar. So like Parker's like this weird outlier for trach kids because she's never been on vent support. They they took her off vents pretty quick because the pap machine that they hook up to the trach, she would set it off because she was breathing over the vent constantly so it would alarm off and finally I love one of our nurses is like so annoyed with it she's like I'm going to throw this machine out the window or you can get her off and we were like the annoying parents that kept came, coming to her and like hey she doesn't need this you could take her off of it and finally they did and she was like going crazy doing amazing by just being on an HME even though they required her to have the HME with like the room mask. air and Trach mask and all that other crap. Can you explain to the listeners what an HME is? Yeah. An HME is a fake nose, basically. It's hum- It has either cardboard or a sponge uh, type of filament that pops onto the trach. Because the trach is basically just a tube that comes out of the airway. Since your airway sits in front of your esophagus, it's that the, your airway is the one that's in front of your, um, right at your neck. Um, so you can pop these little fake noses on there and that allows them to have humidified air without drying out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they have, it's hard to describe. It's like a cylinder with two. It's like a barrel. Yeah. It's a, that's a good description. It's a barrel with <laughs> two sponges or pieces of cardboard on the side that collect moisture from the air that we breathe. And, and then... that acts as like the hair follicles and mucus in your nose. If you breathe normally. It just keeps our trach. Moist. Yeah, moist. Moisture is a key factor. So how long from when she got her trach was it before you all left the hospital? So she got her trach and G-tube combo surgery in July? July. July 26, I think. Mm-hmm. I remember these days. <laughs> uh, all the way until she had that, and she still has that set up, all the way until um, October is when we left, October 22nd. Mm-hmm. 
that day I remember for sure too. <laughs> yeah, so do I. It was chaotic. Yeah, so we were in total NICUs, both KU and Children's Mercy, for a total of five months. 157 not, days. 157 days. Not the shortest stay, but not the longest stay either. We've heard some crazy stories. <laughs> so, What was that day like for when you all left? Oh my God, that was an awesome day. The Getting out of that damn place. <laughs> so like hospitals are great and all, and it was cool leaving and being able to sleep and not hearing her monitors because... When you have a trait kid, you have to have an apnea monitor along with an ox a pulse oximeter to monitor heart rate as well as oxygen levels. Oh, excuse me, oxygen saturation. And those things ring off at like the slightest dip. So that was nice. But um, we finally got nursing because with the trait kid, uh, Children's Mercy requires you to have two weeks? Two weeks, 24 hours care monitored and they won't even let you take the kid home if you do not have two parents in the house not counting your nurse so you either need to have both parents or parents and Someone family trained. member or somebody that's gone through all of the trach specific um, cpr classes all the trach care classes all that kind of stuff so once we had finally got nursing, I sort of like the last two months. It took three months. To... Was it three? It was the last three months. We were just waiting for nursing, sitting in the NICU, waiting to get nursing so we could go home because that's how much of a shortage there is for home nursing. And once we finally got that nurse, we actually, we were pretty creative with the way that we got home because we were like, we want to get home and have time with our kid without the nurse there. So... We told the agency that we were leaving at a certain time. We left earlier than that time. But then we got delayed somehow, and we didn't beat the nurse home. <laughs> yeah, so we... It took forever to get everything All done. Parker threw up after a feed. Oh, yeah. That took 30 extra minutes to leave. Um, we didn't have a regular nurse that knew us, so it took a little bit to get paperwork and stuff ready to go. So we were supposed to leave at 4. We didn't leave the hospital till 5.30, and then we got the car seat and the base stuck in the car on her pull socks um, cord. cord. And we didn't know how to take it out because new parents. Yep. So that was another 20 minutes. Yeah. And then by the time we got home, the DME company, the two nurses, and one of the... Um, no, it was just the nurse and the admin. Okay. Yeah. One of them, yeah. So they beat us home. <laughs> but, I mean, that day was so cool. Um, finally getting out of there because she got to come home. Like yeah. she I fell asleep immediately. In the she car. did fall asleep. Yeah, she fell asleep in her car ride. She was so cute. Mom was driving her, or I was driving. Mom was in the back seat with her. I mean, it was just we were so excited. It was such a cool day. It was chaotic and crazy, but oh my god, we were so excited to leave. And then it started the whole other thing of now we have a stranger in our house and it's a nurse and it's weird, but. Whatever, our baby was home. <laughs> how long did you all keep nursing? We kept nursing for how long? Right before her first birthday, so in the beginning of May. So from October to May, we had nursing. And because of her situation, we went down to 16 hours pretty quick. So like after that first two weeks, we were on 16-hour shifts. So we had one nurse for eight hours, and then from like two to six or seven... We were, uh, it was just Kayla and myself when I got home from work um, and Parker. And then we would have a night nurse. And what stunk about that is a lot of the nurses 
they make their own shifts and they select the people that they want. And so, like, one nurse that we absolutely loved because she was quiet, she would either read books or listen to stuff with her headphones on. She left us because she was no longer getting 12-hour shifts. And we understood that, but we really liked her. She actually gave us a diaper genie, which was amazing because we still use that. Um, But then we got a few nurses that we didn't really like or enjoy their company. We had a a few choice ones that were questionable on their character and their things they did. And we were we're very, we're non-confrontational. We're very lax. We're very lax, but... I mean, when it, what's funny is when you introduce Parker, we're very confrontational. <laughs> we're very laid back people until you bring Parker into the mix. And there was this one nurse who like blasted her. If she was watching a sermon or something, it was odd. And we don't care what you watched. We gave them their Wi-Fi password. You could use yeah. our tablet, whatever you needed to, to it was occupy your time. It was religious type question i don't know it was very it was kind of scary honestly because we kept setting them up because we wanted to do everything they were not to do trait cares anything unless it was an emergency situation even then our door is right there they were supposed to wake us up immediately and so like we kept telling any new nurse or even existing nurses like parker's easy just change your diaper don't do anything else like parker's an easy kid this is our kid we'll do all the other stuff so like we did all the trait cares they never did any of that stuff they did her feeds and her all diapers of her feeds and- yep Except, no, we would have them... It's amazing how many nurses would feed the bed with a G-tube. <laughs> and by that, I mean they would hook it up incorrectly and the secondary port that you push medicine in would be left open. And so all the milk goes into their mattress. And it's a and you guys are like, up. you had one job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's all they had to do. Well, what's Parker's personality like? Parker is... Uh, a daddy's girl for sure. I cannot exist in a room without giving her attention, without her crying or like wanting me. Um, but she is such a little like fireball of personality. So she's she knows sign language to the degree that she can because of her contractures. Like she cannot do uh, finger motions or like bring her elbows up to her mouth. So we've worked on adaptive adaptive sign language. Like she knows that swinging her arm in front of her like this, not at the elbow, obviously, is all done. I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, What's really funny is if you bring her brother next to her, she says, all done. I don't want him near me. Um, She knows to say hungry by tapping her right knee. Uh, She's very like, if you are doing something that she doesn't want to do, she either cries or like whines or lets you know that like, hey, we're not there yet. Um... She's learning on, working on her speech right now, getting better, obviously delayed because of the trach. That just kind of goes with the territory. But she is doing so well with physical therapy. Like we can sit her up now on the floor. We have a little soft helmet that she wears just because like, not because we're overzealous parents, but when a kid falls, like they can kind of try and catch themselves. If she goes, it's all her head weight going down to the floor. So that's not ideal. Um, but if you sit her upright, she can scoot across the entire house right now. <laughs> and yeah. she just loves exploring. You just see her little arms like fling behind her and she's going. Yep. She butt scoots like crazy fast. <laughs> Why do you all call her a little genius? I call her a little genius just because, it one, it helps me not think that those episodes did anything bad to her brain. But also because, like, considering all of her limitations... 
she's already figured out. Like she'll, she knows how to turn the page of books. Uh, she loves stories. She can communicate well. The sign language thing was a huge thing for me, and then also her um, her ability to use her feet instead of her hands has like exponentially grown. So like she has blocks that she will talk about core strength. She'll grab them with both feet, lift them up and then stack them and be so precise about it. Like this is with her feet. There's no hands involved and it's all stomach and core strength. And so I just think that she's doing all the things that a normal baby would want to do, but she's figured out a way to do it herself. Yeah. And she's very observant. She's very observant. Like she will focus on what you're doing or task and then she'll try to mimic it in her own way. That's a kid that you can take to a store and never worry about her like throwing a temper tantrum about wanting something because she's always, wow, that person's doing something weird or talking about she's something. She's a people watcher. She's a very big people watcher. So we've taken her out to like, before COVID, we took her out to a restaurant with us and she was just like, we went to the melting pot and she was just watching us like, well, oh my gosh, what are you guys doing? This is so cool. Fondue? And she would, yeah, fondue. She would coo at us and be like... We, we call what she talks, how she talks right now, coherent babbling, because she's just like, ah, ba 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 and she'll respond to you as you say real words, and she's like, ah, ba ba ma ma <laughs> And it's not real letters or anything like that, but... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, this question is for both of you all. Okay. Jake, you can go first. What will be the lasting memory of your birth and NICU journey? What will the lasting memory of the birth and NICU be for me? So the lasting birth memory for me is always going to be the fact that even though she survived, at one point I thought of terminating the pregnancy. And I, I don't punish myself. Maybe I do subconsciously, but I hate that I did that because of what I didn't know. Not to say that I never forced Kayla into a situation that I don't think she had the final say, but I felt bad hardcore suggesting that this is the path we should go. So that's like the lasting thing for me as part of the birth. As far as the NICU stay, the lasting memory for me is just that coding, that one day where she coded. And she coded after that, but that one day, seeing all those people around her, seeing her go ghost white, those numbers dipping, and just not being able to do anything. As a dad, you always want to be able to fix it. Like, even if you're not a guy that's, like, hands-on or, like, a woodworker or anything like that, and I'm by no means a manly man, I want to fix my kids' issues, and I can't. I know there's a limitation to her bending her elbows and stuff. Um, and so being a part of that day, I just couldn't fix her. And so that's probably the biggest kind of memory that will kind of last with me. Yeah. And Kayla, for you, when you look back at your pregnancy and Parker's birth and your NICU journey, what is the lasting memories for you? Just in general, what are you left with from that experience? Um, well, her entire, like, the entire pregnancy, basically, I'll be honest, it wrecked me. <laughs> like, there's no way of being any more blunt than that because it put me in the darkest place ever because you don't know what's happening inside of your own body. Like, you keep blaming yourself. I still blame myself. I was telling Jake the other night that mm -hmm. I, after having this one, I'm still, a, like, it triggered my postpartum and everything else. And then just you have that 
um, traumatic stress from everything. So I still question if I did anything. So that's kind of like the lasting memory of the pregnancy with her and just like, what did I do? Kind of thing, and then even this, though you didn't do anything wrong, and there's <laughs> no control, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's mom's <laughs> always gonna think that, and then just even the NICU experience too, like when things kept getting better, it just I was waiting for something else to happen, and I'm still that way with her, like I can't ever let my guard down. So I don't know, that probably didn't really answer your question because no, I'm still in yeah. that mode. It does answer the question. And I just heard a little babble. I wanted to ask you about that, <laughs> that process of deciding to have another child. What was that like? So Peter oh. actually wasn't planned, <laughs> to be real honest. He was a one and done kind of thing. Like we were always going to have two kids, but never this, this early. early. <laughs> I didn't even know I was pregnant with Peter until... That, Almost the second trimester. That was a hilarious day. <laughs> we still had our nursing, and I yeah. was feeling sick and thought we were just, I was getting food poisoning or something, because my husband was cooking pork, and I don't like pork. So I thought it was just a reaction to that. And so I had a test still, and I took it just out of the whim for giggles, and then it came back super positive. And so I broke <laughs> down in tears, and I'm like, we can't do this. And I, like, I was at the point I wasn't ready I didn't even cry. I just started. He just his, I just had a, like a hysterical laughter to it, and I was like, "There's no way this is fake." <laughs> so at one point, I'm in tears, crying my eyes out, and he's just hysterically laughing because we were like, "There's no way," <laughs> because she would have been a year and a half exactly from when he was born, and that's where we are. And yeah. yeah, ten minutes later, we had our night nurse come in, and I'm pretending everything's okay, and she knew, she could tell, because my supply for breast milk was dipping, and mm-hmm. I was getting bigger. <laughs> So it was great. But, I mean, we always wanted him. Like, obviously, we just didn't know it'd be that quick. Well, he's beautiful. Thank you. He's so sweet. <laughs> Kayla, before we go, answer this question. My story is one of blank. Um, the first thing that just comes to my head is just the, is one story of many Because, I mean, you hear so many stories of, like, moms and stuff that are very similar to a degree, but we all have our own uniqueness to it. So mine's just one of the many stories that the general public don't, aren't aware of, but they need to be. Because there's so many of us that you just, you don't hear about it because it's too taboo. No one wants to hear about sick babies. Mm -hmm. Your story is one of many. That's interesting. So, yeah, there's more of you out there. There's more of us out there. Oh, yeah. Even with Parker's condition, like, even though it's so rare and so unique, joining these Facebook groups and hearing these moms, like, tell their story. I've seen so many and I've heard so many that are just almost mirror our experience with Parker to a T. And it's crazy because we never even heard of this condition until Parker. Mm -hmm. So, again, just our shore is one of many. And so it's just a way of getting it out there. How does it make you feel to be one of many? Um, it makes me feel a little less alone and good and also sad for other families. I don't want anyone else to go through this, but it gives me a way to help them. Yeah, you've been a huge beacon to, like, she, she'll answer people on these Facebook groups. The Trach Moms group, the, she, I mean, she goes yeah. out of her way to respond to questions. And 
Well, because I remember that dark spot and not knowing, so I try to give input. We've definitely refocused our negativity. Like, we did that NICU lunch right away. We want to help people now that we know what these people are going through. And, like, before all of this, like, you know, I think both of us were like, oh, you know, we were never judgmental people. I always had said, like, if anybody needed to do an abortion or go through, like, needed special care or needs Medicaid or needs this stuff, it's because they have a situation that I can't fully understand. Now that I'm in that situation, I 100% know that that is the case. Like, nobody from the outside, none of these lawmakers, none of these doctors really know what you are going through because it is such a personal, real, visceral experience to go through something like this. Absolutely. Jake, I'm going to ask you the same final question as Kayla, and that is for you to finish this sentence. My story is one of blank. My story is one of sadness, determination, and pure luck. And I say pure luck just because, like, kind of what Kayla said, what my wife said is, even though people have gone through this and people might identify to a T what was, happened with Parker, I also saw in that NICU all the sad stories, the kids that didn't get to leave or the kids that are still there, sadly. And so, like, we realize that we're unlucky but incredibly lucky in another aspect. Because yeah, we're currently watching our baby girl taking a to, nap on her yeah, we camera. Get to, yeah, we got a baby camera and we've got... Parker sleeping and she's napping. I mean, that's as normal as you can be as far as a parent. So, I mean, we're super lucky, but also like unlucky in some other ways, but more, it's not our unluckiness anymore. It's like, what does she have to go through in the rest of the world now? So, well, she's very, very blessed and lucky to have you guys in her corner. Thank you. Thank you so much. You all are just awesome parents. Something that's always stood out to me is you all's ability to find joy despite the circumstances. Like the way that you all dress her up in costumes and take pictures. And oh, that's, just... that's all my wife, for sure. That's all Kayla. All those photos no, yeah. and, and costumes. Oh, yeah. She finds the joy. Yes. How are you all... I... I said I had, that was my last question, but this is <laughs> that okay. one more question I have. How have you all managed to continue finding joy despite your circumstance? Yeah. For me, I think we find joy because uh, on any given day, we can ignore that she has a disability. Like, I still have to do her physical therapy daily, and I try to. She kind of hates it, but she can also just play. And, like, we go to the zoo, and she's a normal kid. You can ignore those disabilities and just do kids stuff because even if you had a disability where they're in a wheelchair or anything like that they're still kids like it doesn't matter what's going on with them they're they're still children so just do that stuff and don't let the disability dictate like you doing what normal quote-unquote normal families would do that's how we find joy is i just ignore it yeah. she's a kid that's going to do just fine i mean she sees a kitten like any other kid and wants to go touch it oh yeah she loves touching her cat she wants yeah. to lick the window yeah she, <laughs> so. she wants to bang her head on her like food tray you know whatever she wants to do yeah all those weird kid stuff go ahead that's what that's how we find joy we just be parents don't change because the kid has a disability they have to figure all that stuff out. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
Jake, earlier you mentioned your um, big coding episode mm -hmm. and you mentioned later seeing something happen with the family and that affecting you. That's why you all situation stood out to me because uh, maybe two or three weeks before that, my daughter had an episode where she stopped breathing and they had to bag her and Ugh. it was, I Awful. mean, it was terrible. She didn't code, but it was really horrible. And so when that was happening to you all and I saw you standing there, I felt like I was you and I was mm -hmm. watching. I could just feel all of it. And my husband, he was texting me and he's like, you got to you got to get up and walk away or something. And I'm like, I was just frozen because I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could really feel what was happening to you guys. So just to see that she's like hanging out at home and napping and yep. all of that is just. Oh. Yeah. And your daughter's home now, too. She is. Um, we were there for six and a half months at, at Children's. She was born at the Fetal Health Center. Oh, okay. And similar to you all, I've talked to a lot of families that went into, uh, they have preemies, so they just kind of went into labor. Yeah. But our situation, we found out at like f around week 14 that something was going on. Oh, wow. And we had to just go through the pregnancy hoping and, yeah. just, mm -hmm. you know, not knowing. So that felt really similar. Um, but... Yeah, she came home in September of last year, so she's been home. You guys came home in October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were a month so after. So you came home, yeah, right after. Um, so, yeah, just over a year now. It's crazy how much time hasn't passed and how much they grow once they're at home. They thrive yeah. at home out of the hospital for sure. Yes, even from just this summer to now, looking at pictures, I'm like, oh, my God, that's such <laughs> oh, a... Oh, yeah, we yeah. did that the other day, too. We were like, what is this little potato that we gave birth to? <laughs> yeah, now it's like a little person. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this with me today. Thank you so much. You you're, you're a good interviewer. Those are good questions. Those are tough questions. <laughs>